about today and, and over the last couple of weeks as I started to process and prepare myself to be back here in the pulpit, I had been praying about what the Lord would, um, would speak through me. And the, the word that God gave to me was to um, go back to our fundamentals. And so today I'm going to be teaching on our church mission statement. I'm going to be refreshing us in who we are as a people and what we believe God has called us to as a church. You know, every church, every ministry, every organization, every person, every family has to have a mission and a vision as to how they want to go about doing things, as to how they want to go about living. And in our case, it's how God has called us to serve him in the kingdom of God and what God has called us to be in the world. And so today, um, we're going to be hearing about that, some of us for the first time. And others of us, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a refresher, it's a reminder um, of what God is calling us to be and what he's calling us to do. We as a church exist to restore, equip, and send people to impact the world for Christ. Amen? Would you repeat that with me? On the count of three, just repeat after me. We exist to restore, to equip, and to send people to impact the world for Christ. Amen. Our four cornerstones are these. Would you repeat them with me? Worship, prayer, the word, and service. We believe that every ministry of this house should be incorporating those cornerstones into their ministries. Worshiping the Lord. And how many of you know that worship is a lifestyle? It's not just singing, right? It's worship is, is how we live. We live understanding that God has made us worthy. And worship actually means that we are giving praise and we are giving value, ascribing value or worship to God. Amen? And it's through Jesus Christ that we're able to do that. In prayer and in our own personal lives, that we as a church in corporate prayer and in our ministries should be um, making sure that prayer is a part of everything that we do. Amen. That we go to the Lord in prayer before we make decisions. We go to the Lord in prayer when we're triggered. Not give the enemy a foothold and let the flesh take over. Amen? Amen. Amen. I remember one of our sisters had a shirt that she made. It says, shut the flesh up. You know, the way you could do that is by prayer. Our other cornerstone is the word. The word is what transforms. The word is what guides us. Not only draws us closer to God and teaches us about the word of God and teaches us about Jesus Christ, the son of God and what he's come to do for us, but it actually can renew us. 
It can redeem us. It can deliver us. And the word of God saves. Because the word of God has the power to transform the way we think and the way we live. And leave behind the old self and walk into the new self, putting on Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, because the, the old way of life is doing it the way we learn in the world, on the streets. Maybe in a certain kind of tradition or culture. Some of our families, where we come from, we've learned a certain way, for better or worse. Some of us have learned lots of great things. Some of us have to unlearn some things too. And the word of God is what brings us into the knowledge and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And finally is service. Service is what God calls us to, which is really mission. God has called us to be on a mission. But you know, a a word that is better, uh, more easily and readily understood by others is service. Because God calls us to serve and he shows us how to serve and whom to serve and and where God wants us to serve. Whether we're serving here in the church, whether we're serving and ministering to our families like my wife and I were able to serve one another this summer and, and serve our children and to be there for them. God enhanced our family ministry this summer, um, and it was such a wonderful time. And, and so we as a church believe that God is calling us to be a people of service. Amen? So I want to read a passage, um, and I'm going to focus on my, my message on the three, the three things, restore, equip, and send, our mission statement. And um, if you would turn with me, please, to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version, the NIV, all right? And we're going to see right here what what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth. And Paul's message to the Corinthians was in response to letters that he had been receiving. Um, We who study the Word of God um, have understood that there were Approximately four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and we only have access to two, the second and the fourth letters. So somewhere along the way, um, through time and history and whatnot, we've lost the first and the third letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Isn't that interesting? But we're, we're grateful for these two books, which we call first and second Corinthians, um, because they, they can lend a whole lot to us in our faith. Especially because, watch this, you guys, the, the port city of Corinth is much like the port city of Los Angeles, where people came from all over the world. There were lots of commerce, lots of business, lots of trade, lots of multiculturalism, lots of languages, you guys, right? Um, and the people were very, very developed, and they actually had a, a very good knack for knowing how to um, satisfy the flesh, all right? Um, and to live for themselves. Does that sound familiar to all of us who are here in Los Angeles? If we're not careful. We can, we can live for ourselves, can't we? We can live and make all of the, the purposes of life to serve our purposes um, and to, to do the things that make us happy. But we're going to learn here why the principles of the Word of God are so much more powerful, so much more important for us as Christians, as believers. And if, and if you struggle understanding the significance of placing the word of God over our own lives as an authority, 
maybe we need to question whether or not we are truly believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Because it means that we're disciples. It means that we are choosing to walk with him and walk in his ways. Amen? So look what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Can you repeat that with me? Everybody say, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What a rich passage, isn't it? Where we understand that this message or this way of understanding reconciliation is what we as a church have Adopt it as part of our mission statement. And we're choosing to call that process restoration or to be restored. Because we believe that being restored begins with the person, the sinner, God's creation, his creatures, us as human beings. We are recognizing that we were born into a fallen world and that we are sinners. And our flesh nature is dealing with and has to acknowledge the sin that we have been born into. And we, we read about that in Genesis chapters 2 and 3 and 4 and so on. We read about this understanding of how God made us and how disobedience in the Garden of Eden through Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. Where they interacted with temptation. They interacted with the deceiver himself. And the enemy won that small battle. Therefore, sin was imputed into us as humanity, as human beings. And therefore, we needed a savior, a redeemer, a deliverer. Someone who was able to deal with this sin problem in a way to set all of creation free. And that was God himself, knowing that through his son, Jesus Christ, he would be the only one, the only thing that could satisfy God's wrath, understanding what was required and what was needed. I'm going somewhere with this. As we identify sin in the world and sin in us, you guys, it's when we recognize that we're in need of a Savior. It's when we recognize the sin that we have in our lives and the brokenness that we experience. Why our families sometimes are set back by sin, by circumstance. Things that happen to us that we call sin And things that we also do 
on our own. Thanks be to God that he gave us his son Jesus to help us and to reach his hand down to us and pick us back up. Amen. That's his love for us. So God has called us as the church to learn how to overcome sin and brokenness in ourselves, in our relationships, and in the world. Over the last handful of years, by a show of hands, how many of you have been touched by brokenness? Put your hands on. How many of us over the last handful of years have had broken relationships because of one thing or another? Raise your hands. And so we as a people believe that God has called us as a church to look to him. To deal with that brokenness. To learn about ourselves as a broken people. And to seek healing. To seek wholeness. To seek peace. And it's only possible through Jesus Christ. It's only possible through Jesus Christ. His love was so immense and so great. And he found us just where we are. And he loves us back into the kingdom. So this healing that restores our relationship with God and ourselves and others is what we as a church believe that we're called to. There's going to be more that we do as a church. They're going to, they're going to bring, we're going to be bringing resources to the body of Christ to deal with the brokenness and the things that we face, things like overcoming anxiety, things like overcoming addiction, things like overcoming brokenness in the family and offering tools and ways that we as a people can be strengthened up, ways that we'll be able to invite others into these conversations to learn how the word of God and through the message of Jesus Christ, we're able to overcome these setbacks that the enemy wants to lord over us. Satan wants us to give in. Satan wants us to say, you know what? It's, it's no use. I'm going to go back to doing things the way I used to. I'm going to go back to my old self. I'm going to go back to what makes me com- feel comfortable. I'm going to go back to doing things the way I want to do things. I'm going to go back to just doing things that make me happy. And we forget that the word of God is the only thing that has been tested and true that can deliver us from all of the things that we've had to experience and endure. Somebody say restore. And so you guys, when someone is restored, guess what? It means that there is newness. It means that there is a a renewed sense of purpose and life and calling. And something that my wife and I experienced this summer, and and we received many comments. Folks would say, you guys just have some kind of joy over both of you. And we just knew it was the the joy of the Lord. And the Lord was renewing us and refreshing his joy in us. 
right? My wife and I, we, 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 we took this time to look back over the last handful of years and I said, man, we've gone through a lot of things. We've, we've endured a lot of heartache, a lot of setback, a lot of brokenness. And the Lord says, but I see you and I'm mending you. I'm healing your heart. In other words, I'm restoring you through my spirit, through my son, through my word, through my people, through loving relationships. And those are the things and the thoughts that bring so much warmth and comfort and confidence to my wife and I. And I'm just so thankful for that. You know, as Bumi and I um, spent our last Sunday, that July 16th, I went home. First thing I did was cut my hair. Lola said, what? And it wasn't some crazy ritual or anything. I used to shave my head when I used to play ball. Um, but Boomy and I flew to Europe um, the very next day on that Monday. And for the, the next 15 days, she and I traveled through um, France. We went to Paris, spent six days there, and we traveled to the beaches of Normandy and paid our respects to um, many people who lost their lives in World War II there on D-Day at Omaha Beach. And um, we traveled to Chateau de Versailles and spent a whole tour on, on a bike, learning about lots of history. And, and it, was, it was a wonderful time for Bumi and I to not only renew our commitment to one another after 20 years of marriage, but during these past six weeks, we also were able to enjoy this renewed sense of commitment to the Lord and to his calling upon our lives in ministry. This is the, the, the moment that we got married in 2003, you guys, I entered the ministry that same year. It was like, ready or not, here we come, Lord. And so we just jumped right on into it. And it was a lot of a time of growth and learning and all of that. And, and so when, when we were in Paris, um, we heard that there's a really, really romantic spot there in Paris called the Eiffel Tower. And um, it was there that I had been um, concealing a, a, a wedding ring that I was able to purchase and was blessed with. Um, and I got on a knee because when I proposed to Boomi 21 and a half years ago, I didn't get on a knee. I just, it just didn't even cross my mind. And so I had to make that up to her. So I got on a knee right there in front of the Eiffel Tower and, um, said, hey, it's been a great, it's been a great ride these past 20 years. What do you think about doing it again? And, uh, she's like, what are you doing? What are you, why are you get down on the knee? I was like, cause I owe this one to you. And uh, thankfully, she says, yes, I love you. And that was, it was wonderful and surprised her. And I didn't let go of that ring going through baggage check, going through the security check line at the, at the airport. I was like, don't open my bags. You better not open my bags. And I had to hide it for all those days, making sure that I heard about all the pickpockets in France. So I was like, I didn't let that thing out of my sight. I'm telling you. We had a great time in, in Paris, 
Um, and um, it was so fun. We only had one bad experience where a lady at the Foot Locker, she ignored me because I was speaking in English and she refused to sell me shoes because I was an American. Um, and uh, I said, forget about it. Forget it. I'm going to be... Um, I'm, I'm going to be a, a loud and I'm going to be a proud American from now on. I'm not going to let anybody make me feel bad about who I am. Uh, it was my way of dealing with it. It was funny. But for the most part, the, the French were very nice. They were good to us. Um, and and, and Boomi and I, we, we just kept evolving over these last six weeks, just going to, you know, different places in our lives, in our marriage, in our conversation, and what we want God to do in our, in our hearts. Um, and this past week, um, a friend of ours reached out and said, hey, we have a pastor's marriage retreat at Pepperdine University. How would you and your wife like to come and stay up at the villas in Malibu? Um, we said we would love that. Matter of fact, our church board had recommended that Boomi and I would find um, some time to have a, a, a kind of a retreat um, and this opportunity to grow and to be poured back into. And, and it, was, it was there at Pepperdine University where Boomi and I um, were a part of a wonderful seminar with four other couples learning about uh, restoration therapy and how to deal with the pain cycles of life um, because we as people don't realize that the ways that we react and respond to things in life a lot of times are connected to things that we experienced when we were younger and as we go through life. And so it was a wonderful time for us to cap these last six weeks off um, in, in, a, in a time of growth and a time of learning. Um, and so I said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn all of these biblical principles because Pepperdine is a Christian university, um, um, and we're going we're gonna to learn how to apply these things to our family and our relationships so we can have healthier relationships, and we can ask God to, to step into those areas where we have fallen short. Can I hear an amen? amen. And ask God to bring restoration and healing um, in areas that we are in need. The second um, focus for us is to be equipped. We as a church believe in equipping the saints, not just for ministry, but equipping the saints with tools and learning and understanding. And a lot of that has to do with the word of God. Somebody say the word. How else can we as Christians be equipped unless we are going to the word of God for the, for the equipping? For the transformation and the renewing of our minds. Right? The Apostle Paul had it right in Romans chapter 12. Where he says, let us be transformed by what? The renewing of what? Our minds. And do not be conformed to what? The world. And the ways of the world. But it's through the word of God that we're transformed. And so there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And it says this. 
So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Everybody say mature. To the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So in other words, you guys, this idea of equipping with coaches, coaches have the task of taking their athletes, their players from point A to point B, and that's the definition of a coach, right? Like a stage coach is to take someone from point A to point B. A coach is, is somebody that can take someone from point A to point B. In other words, teaching them, shaping them, molding them, helping them, listening to them, talking with them, right? And there's, there's, there's great ways that we can, we can learn and how to do it in Christ so that we can reach the full measure in Christ. It's only through the word of God that the apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. That's why we're reading in Ephesians chapter four, right? Verses 11 through 13. And so that the church understands its purpose in discipling. Somebody say discipling. So, so what is discipling? What is discipleship, you guys? To instruct, what else? To mentor, what else? How about to teach? Discipleship, you guys, is the process of, of teaching. And so if somebody is doing the teaching, then somebody's doing the what? The learning. And learning takes a posture of what? Humility. It takes a posture of learning. It takes the, po the posture and the position of being in the, the, the shoes of a student. That's hard for some of us, isn't it? It's hard for somebody like me who's a, who's a know-it-all. That's all I heard all my, my family, my, oh, be quiet, Josh, you're a know-it-all. Like, yeah, you know. It's hard to not think that you're a know-it-all when you know it all. <laughs> but for the believer, somebody say the believer. For the Christian, somebody say the Christian. For the disciple of Jesus Christ, somebody say, disciple of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging the fact that we are not the ones in charge. The pastor is not the one in charge. We are called to help each other facilitate our walks with Jesus, our commitment to Jesus, and our process of growing, learning, and unlearning so that we can grow in the likeness and in the image and in the fullness of the king. So we're growing in the image of Jesus. And that's so hard, especially when someone tries to push your buttons. Especially when the world has got a bullseye on your back because you are a believer, because of what you stand for, because of how you're choosing to swallow your pride, because of how you're choosing to be humble before the Lord and before one another, not lifting ourselves up, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We are consciously making the decision to put others first, to put Christ first to put the word of God 
first and above us so that we have to submit to the word of God. Oh, don't mix meekness for weakness. I said it before and I'm going to say it again. When Christ was his most powerful, when Christ was in the most authoritative position that he had ever experienced to us, as we have learned through the word of God, it was when he was on the cross. It was when he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a sheep to the shearers. Jesus allowed himself to be led away, taken into captivity, taken into custody, mocked, spat upon, bruised for our transgressions. The Bible says that Jesus stepped down from his throne. He came down here to this earth and took on our flesh, on our likeness so that we can understand him as a brother because he's both our father and brother. Isn't that good? It's like my relationship with my children. I'm their father and I'm their brother. And we're growing as friends. Jesus stepped down from heaven. He took on flesh to meet us where we were. To train us up. To teach us what we didn't know. To live by an example that no one on the face of this earth has ever been able to live up to. But Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the son of God, did that. So it begins with humility and learning and growing. When Boomy and I got to Paris, first day, or second day, we met up with this guy named Thor, who was from Boston. He, had, he still had a Boston accent. And Boomy, she's amazing. She was like my AAA travel agent. She mapped the whole trip out, man. She's a genius. Her, her personality trait is, is an architect. She's a designer. She's a, she's a builder. She's a creator. And, and she mapped the whole trip out for us in all three countries, both France, Italy, and Germany. But it was such a... a a humbling experience to learn that our first tour in Paris, I thought it was going to be go see all the wonderful sights. And no, our tour guide spent close to four hours teaching us how to manage the transportation system of Paris, how to read the, the bus signs, when to look for the bus uh, times, how to take the trains, how to take the subs, how to get along in a, in a foreign country with the foreign language. For the first couple of days, I was, I was trying to blend in as like a, like a Latino, Hispanic, so I was speaking Spanish everywhere, you know. I had heard they treat Americans bad, like I mentioned earlier. And Boomy looked at me one day, she's like, actually, you're doing pretty good, man. You're speaking Spanish everywhere. But guess what, you guys? Not only did we learn how to navigate and manage Paris, and by the way, Paris was so clean. It was, they were fixing it up for the Olympics in 2024. It was, it was great. It was, we had, it was a blast. It was so fun for Boomi and I to put on that cap as learners. It was so fun for she and I to just be there in, in an adventure, 
at this part of our life at the age of 44 and, if, and feel like I'm learning something for the very first time. And don't, don't get me wrong, we took a few wrong trains. We were heading the wrong direction one time in, in Berlin. We went under the subway and, and went down to the third level underground and, and it was supposed to be on the second level and, and we had to loop back around. Anyway. But it was so fun. I told her, this is so exciting. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm like a kid again. I feel like we're learning so many new things. But it required that she and I put ourselves in this posture of learning. Otherwise, no, I'm good. Tell the tour guide, oh, yeah, and, oh, yeah, I, got, I, know how to, I know how to do that. Oh, I took buses when I was growing up as a kid in Carson. Oh, I've taken trains before. How old would that have been to always go around acting and thinking that we have it all figured out? Oh, no, I, I don't need to go to counseling even though I'm hurting, even though I'm, I'm angry and I'm bitter and I make life a living hell for everybody around me. I don't need all that. Oh, man, it's a humbling time when the Lord peels back the layers and shows us the areas that we need to grow. It's a humbling experience when the church who's been who's done some amazing things in the name of God, has got to go back to the drawing board and figure some things out and say, you know what? We haven't been doing church very well in some ways. And maybe there's some ways that we can see what God has for us in order for us to reach this next generation that we're losing. We're at a football game this past Friday. And the game was called at halftime, Long Beach Poly against Gardena Sarah. We had two athletes that were competing in that, that, that game on Friday. Elisha, raise your hand. My son, my oldest, Christian Rojas on the Sarah sideline. And these boys' game had to be suspended and canceled at halftime because there was um, hundreds of unruly teenagers that were storming the gates and, and creating chaos. A lot of that could have been avoided with better organization and better planning and probably moved to a bigger and better venue that was more secure, like El Camino College. Of course, I'm being an armchair, but I'm, I'm a citizen of Los Angeles. And for a game to have to be called and the Gardena PD and SWAT team having to come and cancel that game to restore the peace and these boys and... And spectators on both sides of the field having to remain on lockdown for over an hour and a half. And angry people in the, in the parking lot that weren't able to come into the game. Besides all of that, it turned into a mob mentality and there was a huge riot at the end of the second quarter and then it spilled out into the streets. Kids were jumping on police vehicles. Kids were climbing this 7-Eleven on the corner of Marine and Van Ness. There was gridlock in an intersection. It was utter chaos. People were texting me, Pastor Josh, is it really that bad? Is it really this? Yes, it is. My wife and I and Judah leaving the game, my dad, my mom had to all hold onto each other as much as possible to not get lost in the, in the mayhem. Where am I going with all this? It's our responsibility. 
We're losing this generation because we've allowed this generation to be lost. So we as the church, we as people, as neighbors, as citizens, as grandparents, parents, uncles, and aunties, we got to step in. We got to step out of our comfort zones. We got to get equipped. We got to figure out where you need to be and where we need to be more vocal, where we need to step in and be the body of Christ in the world. God wants to equip us in better ways to reach this next generation. Can I hear an amen? Because it's not hopeless. And we're not giving up, are we? We're just getting started. Pastor, how could you pastor in this generation, in this day and age? How could you, how could you stay committed to the ministry? Oh, you've lost so much. Oh, this, is, oh, this and that. It's like, how could you not? So I, I, I'm just looking for a couple of fearless warriors, soldiers for Christ who are ready, who understand their calling, their purpose, what God has called us to. Somebody say equip. And so we managed Paris. We conquered Rome. And we enjoyed Berlin with my cousin Miriam and her husband Eric, who are missionaries to Berlin. I have to say this. Europe is in a dark place. It felt like a godless place in France, in Italy, in Germany, in places where the pride of life is the golden calf, places where the pride of history and conquest and the ruins of, of Italy and Rome is the standard in the way of life. There's no need for a God except to look at nice statues and big cathedrals that have become museums and not places of worship. It saddened Bumi and I's hearts to see these things, to experience that, and to, to feel an, an emptiness and a void there of the power and the vigor of the Holy Spirit in some of these places that we went. We should be praying, church, and we should be acting upon it. And we went to Germany. Our hearts were broken learning about the World War II and the Berlin Wall. Our cousins took us on a tour of seeing all the places where the Berlin Wall came down. My cousins lived on the corner where the first entry point of the Berlin Wall was taken down. We were able to stand next to it, touch the, some of the wall that they had left up, um, and, and see that there has been, there's been a, um, a vacuum of the presence of God and the word of God there in Germany because as a historian, I'm a history major, we've, we've learned that the Christian church was part of the the national church or the state church of Germany when Nazi Germany came into power. And so the state church, if you will, somebody say the state church, state church. helped put 
Adolf Hitler into power. So a lot of people are, have been disenfranchised and disenfranchised. And it's become a secular nation, a secular culture. They still celebrate all the Christian holidays and traditions just as if they were just secular moments of free, free days to not have to work. They don't understand the meaning. They don't know who God is. My cousin says it is so hard. He said there's times when he just wants to pack up he, my, my cousin and his kids and say, we're, we're going back. God, please send us somewhere else. This is too hard. Their ministry consists of a Sunday group of about 10 to 12 people that come for fellowship and food. And they, they talk and they pray for each other. And, and they, they share stories of the people that they had the fortune of, of evangelizing or share who Jesus is and try to, to teach them and try to get them to understand this God that they have given up on is a real God and he's a living God. And he's a living God of this world and he's not dead. And the Holy Spirit is alive and well. God is just calling a few men and women that will rise up and understand the calling and the significance and the importance of living for Jesus and loving those who are in the world who don't know or who have forgotten. Amen. And the final principle of our mission statement is send. Somebody say send. Yeah. It's both sending and it's being sent to reach others with the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that is significant to understand that as we have been restored, somebody say restored. And as we're in the process of being equipped, somebody say equipped. Now we're being sent. I love the analogy that Pastor Koba, my brother, those of you that don't know, my blood brother, my younger brother, he's, run, he's around here somewhere in, in the Buccaneers jersey. Pastor Koba shared in a, in a message a couple months back, he said, the sending or the apostolic calling that, that Christ modeled and passed on to us, it's like the waves here at Redondo Beach. The waves are both coming and they're going. And it's a process of sending and being sent. And that's what the life of a believer is. We're constantly in this process of being restored and restoring others. We're in this process of equipping others and continuing to be equipped. We're in this constant commitment of being sent and of sending others. And that's the, the ebb and flow of the ministry that you're going to experience here at Mission. That's the constant commitment that we're going to be challenging you as the body of Christ to stay focused on, to stay rooted in, and to stay moving in Christ Jesus so that we do not become stagnant, so that we do not become comfortable, so that we don't just rest on our laurels or on what we have done yesterday or last year. 
but that we're constantly motivated by God's goodness and what he has done for us so that we are renewed in our commitment to Jesus every single day of our lives. And that's one of the best parts of being a Christian is living for the Lord and not for ourselves. That's what the message of Christ is all about. We get to live out the Great Commission to go. Somebody say go. Somebody say go. We get to live out the Great Commission as imperfect people going to an imperfect world to tell them about a perfect God. You don't got to have it all figured out before you, you start loving people the way Christ loved us. There are no rules. There are no stipulations. There are no limits. There are no boundaries to the love of God that you and I have experienced and that he's calling us to offer and give to others. Isn't that awesome? It's no excuse. God sent his son, Jesus. And so Jesus was obedient to the father. He says, yes, send me, I'll go. He became one of us so that he might save us from eternal separation from God. 